Sick Boy Podcast is a health and comedy show about what it's like to be sick. Wait, is that right? How can illness be funny? You'd be surprised. Okay. Sick Boy is hosted by me, Brian Stever. And me, Taylor McGilvery. And myself, Jeremy Saunders. Come on in and join us to melt your heart, learn something fascinating, and bust a belly laugh. Trust us, you'll be glad you did. You can find Sick Boy on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your pods. This is a CBC Podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Welcome to The Dose. It's late January in a global pandemic. New Year's resolutions are starting to falter. Opportunities to exercise are limited unless you're an all-season jogger like I am. And yet we're more conscious than ever of trying to stay healthy. So today on The Dose, we're asking, what is the one step I can take to get healthier? Here's a hint. It's actually taking a few steps. Did you know that the humble walk is a health superhero? Do you know how to do it right? You're probably thinking, you know how to walk. After all, your parents say you've been doing it ever since you were a toddler. But there are ways to get the most out of your daily walk, and my guest today is prepared to run with it. All right, that's enough of the puns. Dr. Jane Thornton is a sports medicine doctor and clinician scientist at the Schulich School of Medicine and Dentistry at Western University in Ontario. She knows a thing or two about exercise. She also happens to be a world champion rower and an Olympian placing fourth at the Beijing Olympics. Dr. Jane Thornton, welcome to The Dose. Thanks. It's a pleasure to be here, Brian. Pleasure to be speaking with you too, Jane. You actually prescribe walking you know, and exercise more generally to patients. So why is walking your go-to recommendation for a healthier life? Well, it's, it's interesting. I mean, when I went uh, through medical school, it was after doing research in the area about physical activity and how much of a global effect it has on health. But it's interesting. We don't really talk about it as much as maybe we should be in medicine and, uh, and beyond. And what I would often see, though, is that patients would be coming to see me and uh, be trying different things, sometimes some medications. But really what they were looking for was some way to improve their function, improve their pain, and, and so on. And I think it's when we just realize what happens when we take a few steps. I was a sedentary teenager and completely uh, unaccustomed to exercise. And that's when I started getting into rowing. And and that's when I think I started realizing the overarching benefits and, and got me really passionate about it. But basically what happens is there's a whole cascade of events that occurs in your body just after you start taking in a few steps. Hmm. And this is where we start kind of engaging, engaging our patients in learning their overall benefits, especially if they have a kind of a chronic condition or something along the lines of wanting to improve their mental health, for example. So basically, one of the, the main things is that our circulation improves in our bodies. So as we walk, blood carries oxygen to our muscles and our muscles learn how to use that oxygen more efficiently. So that leads to better and stronger blood flow all throughout our body. So it reduces risk of disease, but it also can overall just improve muscle function and, and even how we experience pain. So those are all the, the impacts that I talk about. But one of the overarching things that we see, especially during this year of going through this global pandemic, is that we actually get happier just by walking. How? What's happening? Yeah, so it's our body releases these feel-good hormones. So endorphins, people are, might be familiar with, with hearing about that. And when endorphins are released, they act basically as natural antidepressants. And so that can effectively promote relaxation and, and even relieve pain. So oftentimes, just even being, being able to go out for a walk, especially if it's in nature, outside seems to do something even more impressive. But it really tends to decrease our stress levels. We do tend to get a bit of a mood lift from being outside and walking. 
this is fascinating because you know I as a runner I I pursue the runner's high. In fact, I'm I'm experiencing it right now. I ran kil- ten kilometers this morning. Uh, I find I have to I have to run at least an hour to get that well being benefit. Um, is there such a thing? So so you're saying there's a walker's high? Uh, how much do you have to do to get a walker's high? Yeah, it's so basically any amount of exercise is helpful. And I think that's the way that we're starting to think a little bit differently. We used to think that it had to be half an hour or more. And we're starting to see improvements on overall health, but also on mood. And even if we just break it down into five or 10 minutes at a time. And what we often see when we're talking about the, the effect of nature, especially so getting out and walking outside is that we tend to see this big decrease in cortisol, which is a stress hormone. So stress levels go down. Usually the magic number tends to be around 20 minutes. Are there cognitive benefits to walking? Yeah, absolutely. It's from a cognitive perspective. We, so there is the mental health effects that we do see, kind of hopefully preventing against some depression and even levels of anxiety. One of the things I tend to stress with um, patients is that not everyone is able to walk that maybe have some physical disabilities or right. limitations that way, certainly. So this can be uh, also for people just engaging in moderate exercise. But in the studies on walking and cognitive health, it seems to protect brain size, preserve memory, and even improve reaction times, which was done. And it was a Canadian study that that showed that kind of the question is why and how does that happen? Um, but it, it seems to benefit the brain by increasing growth factors. And so some of the substances made by the body that promote cell growth and differentiation and survival. And this seems to improve uh, just overall uh, preserve, preservation of memory, but also these, these ideas of reaction times and even things like balance, which we care about for sure for older mm-hmm. adults, particularly if they're, if they're at a falls risk, for example. We've talked about some of the generic benefits. What are the specific medical conditions that benefit from walking? Uh, there's at least 20 to 30 conditions that aerobic exercise in particular, with even just with walking, seems to help. So we look at things like uh, specific cardiovascular disease, for sure. So peripheral art, artery disease, or even when we talk about metabolic conditions like type 2 diabetes, um, it can help in type 1 diabetes as well. But even looking at things like obesity, and even the way that we started thinking, which which I think is really interesting is cancer. So as we even look at prevention of certain types of cancer, um, like colon cancer, there's there's a few cancers that are still under investigation for the amount of prevention we can get. But the way we started thinking now is even through treatment in cancer and post cancer rehab, how important even just a simple act of walking can help with uh, cancer related fatigue. So I always get excited about things that are that are new and maybe contrary to uh, what how we used to think. So 30 years ago, in terms of back pain, we used to advise six weeks of rest, for example. And now we're starting to advocate for exercise. And where I see this in walking is there are a lot of people a huge burden of disease for osteoarthritis, especially knee and hip osteoarthritis. Mm. And the the tides are changing on that, that we're actually advocating more walking and aerobic exercise when you might think that might be counterintuitive for people that might have some joint pain and feel like they don't want to be active. For many chronic conditions, walking is probably one of the best things we can do for our health. So there's advocating as a physician that your patients walk and there's 
hauling out your prescription pad and writing a prescription. Do you actually do that? Do you actually prescribe a walking routine for your patients? I do. I think there's a good point that some people have made out there that, you know, why write something down as a prescription instead of just counseling your patients and just telling them go for a walk and do physical activity and so on. But when we look at studies, they, they show that written prescriptions are generally better received than oral advice. People do want that written piece of paper. Part of it is that it gives patients permission to prioritize something in their life, such as walking or some kind of physical activity. And I think it shows both the patient, but also the provider that it is as important as, as medication in many cases. So and sometimes it can replace medication. So those are one of those things that I, I find that it can be quite helpful. And then lastly, I would just say it gives you something concrete to follow up on. So you write something down and then you can actually see, you know, was the patient able to carry carry this out or hmm. maybe they had some barriers, but it's always something to check back on. So how do re- patients respond when you prescribe walking or other forms of exercise? Yeah, I, in general, they, they really do love it. And I was unconvinced at the start of it. Some doctors have said, well, they, they're, they're not sure their patients will actually carry it out. So is it, is it worth the time spent on talking about physical activity? But it's interesting because the feedback that I've received is, is really consistent with the literature. And, and there was one study done a little while ago showing that 92% of patients, if they want to hear about physical activity advice from their doctors, and even though probably less than a quarter of us actually give that advice. And so I've seen that in practice and what I, and I realized, you know, one, one person kind of stands out recently is a, is a patient of mine who was a 60 year old female in her sixties, I should say. And she was, she had seen a variety of allied health professionals for back pain. And she finally came to us pretty, pretty discouraged because uh, she, she'd been in this pain and she'd stopped doing what she loved, which is hiking. And she would often go for an hour walk and still, until she started having this back pain. So I had, a t- I took a look at her x-ray and, you know, part of it was really understanding this concept of, well, these are normal age-related changes. And, but just having a sense of kind of screening her for any kind of red flags of back pain. And, and after we realized that this is mechanical low back pain, it actually does very well with aerobic exercise. So part of that was just saying, you know what, let's try gradually to get you back to what you were doing. What do you love? It's walking. So let's start in small increments, follow up and and see how you go. I was just last week and uh, she had come back uh, and I saw her name on the patient list for that day and I was excited to see her. But, you know, sometimes with people who have longstanding pain, her pain had improved. She'd started walking again. She was up to walking uh, almost to her regular uh, amount. And and what I chalk it up to is not just the effects of exercise, but that that ability for us to kind of reassure and normalize these things and to say, you know what, aerobic physical activity is going to help you. Um, and and part of it was just the belief belief around that. And and I think that's what we often do with, with chronic conditions, with um, joint pain, musculoskeletal conditions, is advised, you know, if you're having pain, you should rest. And in fact, I think we're really, really changing our minds on on the best approach on that and trying to advise activity whenever we can. Hold that thought. We'll be right back. So let's get really practical here and, and talk about how to walk. So let's start with posture. What's ideal? Yeah. So any walking, you know, as long as it's comfortable and you're used to it, you know, I don't get too fussed on posture, but I would say for people that are maybe less attuned to it or haven't are just starting a walking program for the first time is to really this concept of really kind of standing tall and eyes up eyes up is as much a safety thing as anything see where you're going you want to kind of bring your gaze out to about 10 or 20 feet in front of you 
um, and it prevents some kind of op- upper body tension. And in that respect too, you know, if you can keep your shoulders back down and relaxed, that tends to help as well. And the point about just kind of keeping swinging from your shoulders, letting everything kind of relax normally, you want to keep your core, your abs tight, um, but you don't need to tuck your tailbone or anything, but just that kind of feeling that almost that someone is, you, you're extending your spine as if you're kind of being lifted from the crown of your head, if you can picture that. And then the last thing I would just say is to step lightly. Um, we don't want to people to have too much long, long stride length, but kind of a s- smooth, quiet stride so that it, especially for those that may have some joint issues that, that just doesn't load their, their knees or hips too much. Another interesting topic that's coming out of a researcher in, in Canada here actually where I work is this concept of thinking about our cadence. This is this concept of step rate. And it seems that people with um, joint pain or people who load their knees a lot more, um, they seem to have lower cadence, so fewer longer steps. So if we can actually somewhat prescribe that step rate, stepping more frequently puts less load on the joint. And so again, a little bit counterintuitive, but may help people that has that kind of knee knee pain associated walking. And, and the other thing I would say, I always say, you know, Nordic walking poles or those walking sticks seems to help as well. And of course, uh, the, the, the more frequent steps you take, the more likely you are to get to the 10,000 steps a day, whether or not that, that has value. Um, what about footwear? What are the basics? Fit and comfort, I would say, are more important than style, at least when we're talking about walking. Um, and just that they should feel supportive, not snug or constricting. We tend to say that if you have your heel wedge a little bit raised so that it's a little bit thicker at the back than in the front, we look at the injury research for sure for running as well. And it's all over the map in terms of how much importance there is in a shoe. So I don't necessarily get too caught up on it, but I would say that it does need to be comfortable. And the other things that I say in terms of just what you wear is, especially for safety's sake, kind of wearing brightly colored outer garments or reflectors, just making sure you're walking in areas that are safe or, you know, walking with a buddy, maybe I advocate for outside as much as possible. But, uh, you know, in winter, wintry conditions, we have to be certainly careful of things like ice as well. So those shoes need to have a have a good grip as well. Some of us uh, like to walk in nature. More and more people are doing that. Uh, There's city walking. Uh, Does it matter where you walk? So I think just getting outside is great. And we used to be concerned about pollution. And we certainly should still be concerned about pollution. But in the effect, as much as how much we walk outside, unless it's really quite bad, the the concept of walking out in the city is just fine doing uh, just even getting out seems to be better than staying inside. And especially now with the restrictions, uh, it can be much better to get outside to just be able to have that fresh air and, and that freedom to move around. There seems to be a benefit in being in nature, even if you're not physically active. So the two are probably going to be even more helpful if you can do them together. For some people, that's not possible. And sometimes it's better to be in lit place if you're concerned about safety on on trails or that kind of thing. So I would just suggest wherever you can walk, great. And if you can get in in nature, it's probably going to be even that much better for you. During the pandemic, of course, it's hard to walk in large groups just because it's so hard to spread everybody out. But is there a benefit to walking with someone else versus walking solo? Yeah, it's interesting. We know this in training for rowing, which of course is close to my heart as a sport. 
But we see that when people train together on those indoor rowing machines, which are uh, torturous even to those that love the sport, rowing beside somebody actually decreases the amount of pain that we feel. So it somehow increases our pain threshold so that we don't feel it. And it may be a concept of some of maybe oxytocin, some of the bonding hormones. It could be some of the, the, the endorphins that we were talking about earlier. But it seems that when you're together with other people, you tend to focus on your pain less and have a more enjoyable experience. Of course, there is a potential downside. If, if you're walking with someone whose pace is much brisker than yours and, and you, you find that, you're, that it's uncomfortable to try to keep up with them, maybe that's not somebody you should be walking with. Right. And I think that actually brings up a really valid point. I teach um, physicians about how, how to prescribe physical activity here. Uh, at Western, but also in, in Toronto. And, and one of the things we come down to is how do you do it, and especially how you talk about intensity. And because someone's brisk pace is not going to be another person's brisk pace. And one of the things that we, we come back to, and, and I wanted to touch on that, even the step count as well, because that comes into play here. But when we write a prescription, uh, there is this kind of international consensus that we really want to try to hit about 150 minutes a week. So some somewhere in the range of half an hour to an hour a day of physical activity if we can that's not going to be the reality for a lot of people especially when they're starting out so i don't start there generally speaking when i give a physical activity prescription but we have this really neat acronym that we use fit is the acronym so it stands for frequency intensity time and type type we're kind of talking about walking or whatever you can do um, depending on your physical abilities but from the concept of frequency, intensity, and time, that's where this, this concept of brisk and also kind of steps comes in. Uh, brisk can mean anywhere in the range. People talk about this kind of three to four miles an hour suggestion. But the other point is that you, you're going to get plenty of benefit from walking at a slower pace, even if you just stick with it. Again, brisk is where you're starting to think your heart rate is up a little bit higher. You may be breaking a sweat. But you can still have a conversation with the person beside you, whether they're real or imagined. That concept of the talk test is something that we use fairly often to make sure you're in the right range. Wow. You are just a fund of amazingly practical information. I have one final question for you. You're an Olympic athlete. You know a lot about motivation. Um, how do you counsel your patients to take that very first step and to keep walking once they've started? It's funny because as an Olympian, you'd think that I'd be loving physical activity all my life. But you know, as I said, it was hard for me. And I, I can relate to people that are trying to even just start a physical activity uh, program. You mean you have bad days too? Oh, absolutely. And it's it's always going to be a struggle. Like I said, I, I hadn't really even started exercising until I was in my mid-teens. It's always tough. And it was even tough when we were training at the national team level about three times a day. But it's just you get into a habit and you can kind of keep going. Make it fun and make sure that, you know, walk with a friend or a dog, but really setting those precise goals. The 10,000 steps, if you can do it, but even if you can improve by seven, at 7,000 steps, you get the same benefit. So I often say, try to get a pedometer. It can be cheap. That in and of itself is going to help you follow up, make yourself accountable with somebody and involve your healthcare provider. Dr. Jane Thornton, thank you so much for giving us the basics on how to start walking. Thank you. It's a pleasure. That was Dr. Jane Thornton, a sports medicine doctor and clinician scientist at the Schulich School of Medicine and Dentistry at Western University in Ontario, and a former world champion rower and an Olympian. Here's your dose of smart advice. Walking is one of the best bang for your buck things you can do for your health. It reduces your blood pressure and blood sugar and strengthens your heart. 
Walking improves your memory and concentration while lowering anxiety. The benefits are so clear that MDs in the know write prescriptions for walking. That way you know the right way to do it and how much. Walk with your head and eyes up and stand tall with shoulders back and arms swinging. To strengthen your core, keep your abs tight. Take shorter strides and walk faster so you step lightly and have less wear and tear on your joints. You should aim for a 5 to 6 kilometer per hour pace. Walking with a partner actually reduces the amount of pain you feel. Just don't choose a partner who walks much faster than you. You should be able to walk and talk without being out of breath. Try to walk 30 to 60 minutes per day, but don't be too hard on yourself. You don't have to walk every day provided you get a total of at least 150 minutes per week of walk time. If you're just starting out, check with your doctor first. You should begin by walking 10 minutes per day and increase as tolerated by 5 minutes per day per week until you reach the prescribed amount of walking. Walking in nature provides extra benefits over and above walking, but if walking on city streets is all you can manage, that's perfectly fine. Which brings me to the last tip. Any walking is better than none. We have lots more on perambulating for better health on our website, cbc.ca slash whitecoat. If you have topics you'd like to hear on The Dose or questions you'd like answered, email us at thedose at cbc.ca. You can also tweet me at nightshiftmd or at cbcwhitecoat using the hashtag thedosecbc. You can find The Dose and Whitecoat Black Art wherever you get your podcasts. Please do us a solid and rate our shows highly so more people can find us. This episode of The Dose was produced by Willow Smith and Donna Dingwall with digital support from Fabiola Carletti. Thanks to Billy Heaton for technical support. The Dose wants you to be better informed about your health. But if you're looking for medical advice, see your healthcare provider. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Until your next dose. For more CBC podcasts, go to cbc.ca/podcasts.